Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the 536th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Danielle Cybulski, author and podcaster who is going to talk to us about her book, Chivalry and Courtesy, Medieval Manners from a Modern World. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Ed Broders and Brett Menard. So to begin with, welcome back to the show, Danielle. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. It's great to have you on. Um, as you know, we call this first segment of the show Fadruk Danarn, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some background on what chivalry was in, what was it like in the Middle Ages? Right. So chivalry, when we're talking about it today, it tends to mean the way that men treat women for the most part. But chivalry back in the day was a way of sort of controlling and guiding the behavior of people who were in the warrior class. So we're talking about knights, not the warriors. And chivalry was a way of making them act in a way that was honorable, that was more kind than perhaps we might expect from warriors without the guidelines of chivalry, that was one sort of guide behavior to make knights into what we expect them to be today, those guys in shining armor that are going around and rescuing people. So I have chivalry in broad strokes. Okay, so um, how would you give our listeners kind of a, a metric to measure how we interpret chivalry today and how it might have been interpreted centuries ago. A metric measure. Is this because I'm Canadian? <laughs> no, no, no. It has nothing. No. I was kind of use it as a, you know, um, a, a basic measurement or difference. No, I, it has nothing to do with that. A, eh? but um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so, uh, how would you how would you see it being very different in today's world? Because uh, that's a word that's kind of thrown around a lot. And yeah. I'm sure back then in uh, the Middle Ages, it, if it was, it was in a different interpretation. Right. So to be chivalrous back in the day, you had to be a knight. So the word comes to us from the French for horse, cheval. So it's meant to be four knights, actual mounted warriors. Today, chivalry is applying to anybody who like opens the door for someone or let someone go first in line. That's kind of considered chivalry or brings flowers on a date, that kind of stuff. And it's really sort of attached mostly to the romantic aspect, right? And a gendered role, men and women. That's generally how we tend to look at it today. But when it comes to chivalry in the Middle Ages, again, this is about the, the knightly class. So it's not meant, if you look at the guidebooks for chivalry, to really be aimed at peasants. It's meant to be aimed at the people who are nobility or the knightly class. And asking them to do things like to be kind and generous to people who are lower than themselves, to people who are impoverished, to people who can't take care of themselves. And they are often in different codes of chivalry, and there isn't just one, there's a whole bunch of different codes of chivalry, if we want to call them codes. They mention widows and orphans, women, widows and orphans, making sure that you're taking care of them. So it's really something that has to do with the protection that is afforded to a knightly warrior class of mounted warriors. So it's much different than today when we're really talking about romance, men and women. So there is an element of this man-woman romance type stuff that's happening in the Middle Ages, but mostly it's about 
actual nights in their behavior. Okay. Could you give our listeners then a little background? Um, what was the night class like? Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, studying from till midnight. Um, the night class, what was it like? Because we don't have anything like that today in the modern world. Um, if you're talking in the Middle Ages, how was their world uh, very different than what it is today? Which, of course, is where this concept uh, derived from. Right. So if you're a knight, then you are being raised to be a fighter. And you're usually going to be somebody who is in one of the noble classes already, or an aristocrat, or you're a landowner, or something like that. So not even peasants, but somebody who's born into the knightly class, a boy, is going to start knightly training around the age of seven. And he's going to be trained from that point to ride a horse, to use a sword, and all these things that he's also being taught how to run his estate. He's also being taught how to dance and how to sing and how to recite poetry. <laughs> and that's kind of stuff that we're not really taught in school so much anymore. We're not taught how to fight. We're not taught how to recite poetry or that kind of stuff. That's cool at least stuff that you'd see a knight do in a kingdom at court, something like that. So we don't really do that stuff anymore. We're really kind of scaled back to just nice men as the team people who might meet each other on the street or another social context. So our knight is trained to fight and he's trained to be chivalrous in terms of his education and manners really from the get-go, from the time he's just a child. And that's supposed to be part of his life for the rest of his life. Not always going on quests and tilting at windows and that kind of stuff, but throughout his life he's supposed to practice a lot of Christian values like faith and hope, charity, generosity, and also be well-mannered in that he can recite poetry, he can read, he can be musical as much as possible, and even dance. Okay. So to take all that perspective, which you gave a much greater, more in-depth image than what most uh, people understand of being a knight. Um, yeah. How did chivalry, then, let's say, make this jump? Because... Uh, if you were a knight, it the way you made it sound, it was a twenty four seven. It was a it was a lifetime gig. That this is what was always expected of you because you're in that class, and then of course yeah. that class has definitely changed over the hundreds of thousands, if not thousands of years. Um, so how do you think that jump occurred? Because we don't have that class anymore. And, you know, it by a knight's definition, it's very much watered down. Yeah, yeah. So the big change happened when people started to have professional soldiers. So in the Middle Ages, most of the time, knights were being called up as part of a, an agreement, a feudal agreement, if you want to call it that, between their lords and themselves. So as part of their ownership of land, they would be called up to fight whenever the king needed them to. As time went on, you started to have more mercenaries, and then you started to have more professionals training armies. So basically, you didn't need to go out and fight anymore. They had soldiers for that. So then it started to lean into more of the manners things. We have a gentleman, for example, in a Victorian era, who is not so much about fighting, although sometimes you do have people who are trying to duel, but a lot about manners, like keeping your pinky up right when you have So I think it really changed when you didn't have warriors who were lovers and fighters. You just had the level aspects of it because the fighting was done by professional soldiers. So I think that really is what made the change. 
Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of the show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the second segment of our show, referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today is Ms. Danielle Cybulski, author and podcaster, and we're talking about her book, Chivalry and Courtesy, Medieval Manners for a Modern World. Our history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Ed Broders. Brett, why don't you start us off? Oh, gladly, John. So when a lot of people think of, um, for example, like feasting in the Middle Ages, there's a popular culture image of, you know, people who are yelling and talking loudly and maybe throwing stuff on the uh, floor next to them and your book has an entire chapter on you know how how to eat properly so what if i show up at a medieval feast what do i need to do to not embarrass myself in front of the host <laughs> that's a good question um basically you'd be leaving you would at a modern feast and i think that you're right that there's always these images of people being disgusting at a medieval feast place the truth is Nobody wants to eat with someone that age gross. So if we look at medieval manners books, they talk about stuff like don't wipe your face on the sleeve, don't wipe your face on the tablecloth, don't smooth into the dishes, make sure that you wipe your face, hold your mouth with a napkin, a linen napkin, don't wipe that on your sleeve either, don't pick your teeth, don't put your elbows on the table. All of that stuff that is really familiar to us as we are children or as we are raising children and don't hardly throw out at the table. If you just stick to the manners that your grandma taught you, you're going to be fine at a medieval feast. And you won't stick out. You won't look weird if you are following the same rules that we are using today at the dinner table. Okay. Uh, Ed. Thanks, John. Um, Danielle, we've seen in the last uh, several decades um, women coming into far greater roles in society, um, in all parts of society. Um, has this uh, affected men to the point where, well, I'm not going to open, I might not open the door for her because I'm afraid she'd get offended. And I don't think I should pull out her chair for her anymore because she's perfectly capable of pulling out her own chair. So can you can yeah. you kind of see where I'm going with this? Yes, yes, okay. So when you go to a medieval establishment, they're going to say, well, chivalry comes from a time 
Once in the 12th century, when Kentucky Bell and people started to write down the rules of chivalry, Italian women were still considered property, right? So when a knight is told to take care of a woman, it's because the implication is that she's too young to take care of herself, she needs to take care of herself. And so we know that the roots of chivalry are in that culture. It can be a little bit dicey if you're holding a bear for a woman and she can do it herself. So I think you always want to read the room. <laughs> And if a woman is reaching by the door, like, you know who's the right way to have them to take that away from her. She can open the door for herself. But I think it's mostly what women are expecting today, that they're treated equally. So if you're going to open the door for a woman who's carrying wages, for example, hopefully you'll open the door for a man as well. So women can be sensitive to this because it really is based on a time when women are considered not as smart, not as strong. And so, yeah, it does have a lot of deep roots. And so it's pretty tricky to write this book because I'm trying to apply medieval manners to a modern world. And some of them are pretty, pretty dark and insidious when we look at that time. So, yeah, I think it's important for men to read the room. Some people uh, are happy to do stuff themselves. Some people like the old-fashioned, and then will open the door for them. So it's really a personal thing. And I think that we all have to give each other grace when someone is trying to be nice we should try to accept it as just niceness and not read into it too much unless there are other cues that suggest that there's a meeting in the is going on. Okay, Brett. So we know today, you know, parents are usually the ones trying to drill manners into their uh, kids. Um, is this also true in the Middle Ages that it, it's primarily a parental responsibility or... Uh, does it fall on to other people in a young person's life? This is a good question because a lot of the times the manners books that we have are written by someone else and they're written by school boys. So this is suggesting that a school master will take at least some of this responsibility onto themselves. And I think that's something that we see today as well. When kindergarten teachers are teaching you not to eat crayons, but to teach you to be polite. At the lunch table, for example. So I think that teachers take on that job. But for sure, this is something that children learn from their parents. And so it's kind of interesting when you look to Middle Ages because I think that cousins, for example, had quite good manners. But it's a very hard choice because it's something that people would be learning from their parents and not necessarily writing down. If you're writing for a whole classroom full of kids, you might write down things like don't take your nose and don't make fart jokes at the table that's actually in one of the nose books that I quote in my book. But interestingly, when children got to be like seven or eight, they might be fostered if they were in the middle of classes, which means they would go and live with someone else. And this is a really normal part of medieval society. And the reason for that is so that they could learn other things from other people. So a girl might go to her future husband's house if they're betrothed, if this is the kind of ability we're talking to learn how to be the next child of the house. And knights were often, or boys were going to become knights, often fostered by their knightly families so that they could learn from another knight, not just from their own father. So it's kind of taking a village to raise children to have good manners, but it's mostly coming from parents or the people who are guardians of these children, much like today. Okay, so of course when we talk about the Middle Ages, People like to think it's kind of just boxing in Europe, but we know that's not the case. You had crusades. You mm-hmm. had people traveling all over. You had invaders. So um, are there mm-hmm. any qualities of chivalry 
that you might have seen that over the centuries kind of changed where uh, either the knight had um, more responsibility um, to present himself or to treat people in a certain way? Or did you see other customs or other civilizations that um, contributed to their the definition of chivalry? Well, I really specialize in Europe, so I can really speak to that more than elsewhere. But you're right that across the world, people have manners. It's just a human thing. And it's, over time, we all want to eat with them, and it's nice to eat with. But what's interesting is when you have the crusade that you mentioned, you have accounts, for example, a lot of accounts of this third crusade, right? Richard the Lionheart versus Saladin tends to be the narrative. And there are a lot of people in Western Europe that talk about Saladin as being quite a chivalrous man. And one of the, one of the things they look at, at least in their stories about Saladin, are things like he's very generous. So I think at one point he sent ice from mountains down to Richard the Lionheart. And we thought it was a very chivalrous thing to do, a very generous thing to do, generosity being a real core component of chivalry. So applying that to an enemy from Islam is a really interesting um, example of how you can see Westerners applying the ideas of chivalry to different cultures. Now, I have to sit here because this is really what I know best, but we do see chivalry changing over time, and we see it becoming more stylized in the way that we tend to think of as like Arthurian, for example, as time goes on. So, for example, if you look out in the 12th century, people are starting to have tournaments, they quite like tournaments, but tournaments are big melee battles. So these mock battles, kind of ugly, people getting ransomed and stuff like that. Whereas at the end of the Middle Ages, you see a tournament that's really focused on a joust, which is what is formalized, which is much less brutal, it's got safety features involved, it's all about calling, it's all about pageantry. So there is kind of a more formalized, more stylized change to chivalry that goes on over time. And then I think when you get beyond the Middle Ages, it kind of gets to be even more refined to this type of stuff that is elevated to tables and balls and that kind of stuff. But in the Middle Ages, you see it becoming more refined and more stylized to around the 14th century, you have that real example of the wrong table, the Knights of the Wrong Table, in the way we would picture them today. Okay. Ed? Yeah, uh, Danielle, uh, realizing, of course, your specialty is in Western, in European um, chivalry, but were there other societies that had something equivalent to the knight? I mean, I realize that in, in, in medieval Europe they had technology and weapons that nobody else had, really. But, you know, did, did other societies have something equivalent to this and some kind of similar behavior code for the warrior class? Oh, for sure. And I would say, even though it's not my specialty, you can really find examples of this in Japan, right? So you have some small class of fighters. And I, not being a specialist, believe it's very similar in that they are a class of people. They have very uh, specific rules as to how to be honorable warriors. And they have a lot of rules around their etiquette, for example. We see a lot of formalized stuff that is traditional in Japan. So I think that is probably a pretty good one-to-one example. Not being a specialist in <laughs> myself, I think that is probably a really good one-to-one example as far as we can make one. Okay, Brett. You talk about how chivalry starts out, you know, as a warrior code. So are there 
different ideas they have uh, about proper behavior in battle that than we would have under something like the Geneva Conventions, or do the ideas kind of line up? Oh, right. You always have such good questions. <laughs> I think what both scouting at is, if you have rules around chivalry, they have a whole bunch of ideals. Like, it's, you're not supposed to tread on the lower classes. You're not supposed to be unkind to the poor or clergy or old or things like that. Did people always follow these rules? Absolutely not. When you look at the Hundred Years War, for example, you have the English who are deliberately pursuing a course called the Chivalry Shade, which is a kind of raid that just destroys everything and everybody. You see a lot of raiding in churches on both sides of that conflict. And you see a lot of just what we would think of as atrocities, war crimes. So after that, you know, if you are a chivalrous knight and this father's your content, you might go and pray for a bit, you might find a monastery, something like that. But even though these ideals are in place, as Brad's telling you, did people forget about them when it was convenient? Absolutely. Because war is an ugly thing. And these are warriors, and they're trying to survive. And then they might try and justify that later by better behavior. But these are ideals that they are supposed to live up to, and they didn't always live up to them. One of the things I find really interesting about Arthurian literature coming back to King Arthur for a second is you often find examples where knights are supposed to live up to an oath or a code or something like that, and they fall short very often. And so Arthurian stories are often explorations of how to actually reconcile these values, these ideals, with being a warrior, and I think that's really interesting. Let's take it to the modern world. You and Brett definitely go to the Renaissance fairs. Uh, are there some fairs that um, really, uh, as the theme, have chivalry as kind of a center point? Or have you seen it where one fair interprets chivalry as one way and another group at another place interpret it totally different? Well, I haven't been to a lot of them myself. <laughs> I go to them sometimes. Okay, no, Brett. Well, you can throw in Brett. Do you see the difference? So... One of the things that um, I love about the fair community is because it is um, obviously an idolized place and people are there in usually good, uh, good spirits and generally good conditions. It's easier to live up to a lot of those ideals um, than it might be... Um, in one's day-to-day -day life. Um, and I definitely know that um, for people in within various reenactment communities like the Society of Creative Anachronism, they, they do try really hard to live up to these ideals, especially things like um, generosity and mercy and that ideal of a fair fight um, which is mm -hmm. a lot easier, again, on a tournament field than when uh, someone's actively trying to uh, hurt you and break your stuff. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it's true. And when we're talking about chivalry and, and centering it, the centerpiece of a lot of these things is I think it's nice. People love that stuff. And that is at the heart of chivalry. All of the elements of chivalry you can find in a joke. Okay. Ed, 
Yeah, um, I may have missed something in your answer to Brett, but um, who enforced these codes? And were there penalties for um, not obeying them in specific situations? Um, and if you broke the rules a lot, could you sort of be denighted, stripped of your title? Now, I don't know of any instances in which someone was denighted or stripped of my head. But because many of these ideas that they're supposed to look to, especially when they're um, in war, for example, because many of these are Christian ideas, you would be in trouble with the church if you tended to commit war crimes or atrocities. You might get sort of sidelined by your king and uh, invited to the party. You might have to kind of keep your head down for a while. But in terms of punishment, I think the most punishment that you get would really be from the church. So you'd be excommunicated if you're an actual terrible person committing war crimes. Most of the time that's going to happen through the church. But usually it's an honor system. If you have ransoms, for example, you're in a tournament, you're supposed to actually stay where you're put. <laughs> so sometimes people would break those. And over serious uh, social penalty and that no one wants to respect you anymore or hang out with you anymore or be associated with you anymore. But that's kind of the big penalty that you would get. Because most of these people are of a class where they're hanging with people that they know and are networked with, you know, that kind of old voice club doesn't necessarily punish people from stuff, except for maybe sidelining them and making them go away for a bit before they can come back and redeem themselves. Okay. It is customary for us that we give the guests the last word on the show. So, Danielle, in a couple minutes, why do you think knowing about the medieval codes of conduct is relevant in today's world? Well, I think that world is still around. Right? When we're talking about chivalry, it's still around. So we should understand where it comes from. And as Ed was getting at, sometimes that liberation, that echo from the past of possibly problematic imaginings about chivalry is important to know. It's important to know the context when we're moving to the future, especially when we're talking about gender roles and things like that. I think it's important to know what it stems from so that we can understand and be on the same page about everything. But also, the chivalry is a whole set of ideals that are good to live up to, that are still ways to live a moral life, a life that's going to make you friends, that's going to make you successful in life. Things like being generous, being kind, protecting those who can't protect themselves. These are all very good ideals that make for better human beings. So I think it's important to understand chivalry for both those reasons, to understand the context where it comes from when it comes to that stylized imagining of the ways in which we can interact with other people. That's what I'm looking for. But also, these are good things to live up to for the most part, living with honor, living with courage, and living with respect for other people. Okay. When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy. In moments of grief. Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
This concludes the 536th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Danielle Cybulski, author and podcaster, who talked with us about her book, Chivalry and Courtesy. Medieval Manners for a Modern World. The history bus for today's show were Brett Menard and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, Historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.